Richard Radio begins in three, two, one. Live in the freedom that God loves you unconditionally. And He loves you unconditionally. God's love for you is unconditional. Preaching that God loves you unconditionally is the wrong message. God has a good will towards everybody, believers and non-believers. But there is another love reserved only for those who embrace the gospel and put their trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Do not panic. I repeat... Do not panic. It's the Wretched Radio Mail Call Delivery Bag Q&A Infotainment Nationwide Extravaganza featuring your voicemails, correspondences, communiques, dispatches, memorandums, and missives. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? What we need right now is a clear message to the people of this country. You have 1,200 messages. That is a bit above average. Now here's your host, Todd Freakishly Tall Freel. The mail is here! Ooh, you panicked. This is Wretched radio hey today's not the day we do mailbag well it is today why not only have you been prolific your questions are so helpful why because it has been my experience typically when we receive one email on a particular subject a conundrum there's others that it represents so hopefully maybe possibly you might hear something that is helpful but if nothing else perhaps you'll hear You're not a flaky, weird, unusual Christian because you're dealing with stuff. This world is littered with thorns. There is pain, heartbreak. There is sin everywhere polluting the planet, and nobody escapes it, and I don't mean nobody. You're not alone. So maybe when you hear some of these issues, you will get comfort in knowing, okay, all right, I'm I'm a typical Christian, and that's a good thing to be. Idea at Wretched.org. All right, so we're going to start with Anonymous, who says, Todd, I am a 24-year-old female. My dad abused alcohol my entire childhood until I was 17. He was never physically abusive, but it was a fearful time for me, and I learned to avoid my dad or treat him indifferently in order to save myself some heartbreak. Even though he's been, it's been seven years now since he went sober, I still find myself distant from him. As he attempts to do things to be closer to me, I still push him away. He doesn't address the great hurt that he inflicted on our family. Ah. I'm not sure he's a Christian, though he claims to be. But the big overarching issue is I struggle to respect and honor him. What should I do? Yeah, that's uh, you're not weird. (laughs) When somebody who should be loving you, adoring you, cherishing you is abusive because they have the threat of violence, they aren't there, present, passing out, spending money, disappearing, all that that particular sin encompasses. Now, you're right to be hurt. Your relationship with your pop, it has been severely scarred. And you shouldn't feel terrible that that's going to take some time to heal. Having said that, you need to look forward and look for a way for it to heal. Because you you, you do nothing and most likely it'll just turn into a root of bitterness. So you need to go through some biblical steps. There are many. It depends, of course, on your situation and why you feel the way that you do. But there's a number of things that you need to work toward. I don't think that anybody should rush you, but they should encourage you. 
Now, it's been seven years, so he has established some trust, but he lost all of it during the other years, and he needs to earn that back, and that's okay. And you can express that. One of the best things you can do when there's a conflict, and that's what this is, is to communicate, Dad, you're my father, and you know our relationship has been marred from past behavior. And I've seen that over the last seven years, you've changed that. And I'm so grateful for that. But I, I need to share with you that I'm I'm still damaged and healing from that. So I'd ask for your patience. And I'd also like to ask you to participate in that healing so that we can be close as father and daughter. What could you do, Pop? We've all noticed, even though you've stopped, and that's great, you've never repented. And 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 that that puts a wedge in any relationship. It doesn't mean that we haven't forgiven you because we have. And if you haven't done that, you should forgive them in your heart and attitudinal forgiveness. But it's not wrong to ask them to to do what what Second Corinthians seven prescribes. You 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 need to make it right. You need to clean up the mess. And if you would do that, Pop, that would go a long way in healing your relationship with me and everybody else in the family. I'm going to work on forgiving you and never bringing it up, either orally or in my mind. I'm going to do this. Will you do that and see how he responds? Pray for him like a nobody's business. And as the relationship heals, which it should, if both parties are working in that direction, it should heal. I suspect your love will grow and even your respect if he behaves respectfully. It is a good thing when a man drops a sin, but that's not enough. It really is not enough. They, they could have made a really big mess. They didn't acknowledge how much pain they caused. It is not wrong to bring it up to them. It is not wrong to encourage them to do that. Let it happen. And if it does, you can heal. Now, what if it doesn't? What if Pop is like, well, I've got to, hey, look, I've cleaned up my act. Um, then I, I would suggest you still need to work on attitudinal forgiveness You need to ask the Lord to help you love him. Does that mean that your relationship is going to be as close as it could be? No, it can't be. And maybe 20 years can go by and, well, you've just kind of forgotten about it. That's possible. But we need to understand that sometimes when the sinning party does not do biblically what is right, that it's okay for it to affect the relationship. You're not to blame for that. You can mourn that loss, but you shouldn't feel responsible for that loss. I would encourage you, if you can find the strength to do those things, I think there's a great bunch of hope. And just as an aside, when you can, maybe a separate conversation, you said that you think he's a Christian. Make sure he is, that he understands the law, the gospel, repentance, and faith. And then you can send us a great update with what the Lord is doing in your relationship. Idea at wretched.org. 
All right. So um, what, did I lose you? No, no. I actually went to grab another question because of what you just said. Uh, I covered a nut. I was a twofer. Yeah, it was. Well, kind of so, sort Very of efficient here. <laughs> you mentioned law and gospel repentance and all. And so uh, we do have a question from Elza along those lines. She says, Todd, in Galatians, uh, they were mixing the law with grace. Are we doing the same thing when we mix the gospel with discipleship? Using using words like repent yeah, and obey. Yeah. You can, sure. You can blur those two, but they are not the same issue. That's it's not it's they're they're distinct. They are wholly distinct. Law is different than gospel. And the law is good if it's used lawfully. So what is a lawful use of the law? It's a schoolmaster, silences the mouth, brings the whole world guilty before God. That's that's the use of the law in evangelism. Furthermore, it is a curb. It is a guide to help us understand God's moral precepts so that we can live in a way that is pleasing to him. Use the law. Use it lawfully. But don't use the law as the sheriff in town because it's not. Read Romans 6. It's a magnificent treatment on the subject of law and gospel and that you're not underneath that law anymore. It's, it, it has no authority over you. Do you strive to keep it? Of course you do. Why? Because God has removed its threat and consequences. But that doesn't mean that it can condemn you anymore. It doesn't mean that it can make you guilty again. It just guides your life and you use it as a tool in evangelism. And be careful not to mix it in with our language, which is why it's always so thoughtful to be precise when you're articulating obedience, to make sure that people understand that there is not some sort of mixing and mingling of law and gospel, because ne'er the twain should meet. Idea at wretched.org. All right, this next one is from Shannon, who was wondering, Todd, what is the proper thing for a Christian to do with a Bible that is falling apart, right? or one you just don't use for <laughs> anymore for one reason or another? <laughs> I was just cleaning out some bookshelves the other day, and lo and behold, there was one. It was pretty ratchety. It was a well-used MacArthur Study Bible, <laughs> similar to the ones we're sending to the Philippines, which, oh, we could just use a little bit of help. Oh, would you please help get us to the finish line on this project? We, 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 we kind of stepped out in faith, huh? Listen to that evangelical lingo. <laughs> Just trusted the Lord that God's people are always generous to send 10,000 Bibles to our brothers and sisters in the Philippines, a MacArthur Study Bible. And I, we're so close to reaching the goal. Uh, if you have the financial means to get us across that line, you'll, you'll be, you're going you're gonna, to, first of all, make a lot of people in the Philippines very happy. We're, by the way, we're hearing from pastors in the Philippines who aren't a part of the TMAI network, but somehow they hear us and they've been asking for Bibles. One pastor said, could I please have one of those? Cause I don't have any commentaries at all. And it would help my sermon writing. Oh, oh, if you could help us, you'd be bringing some joy to some believers and launch us into our next adventure with the Masters Academy International. You can learn more at wretched.org slash Bible, wretched.org slash Bible. And with that Bible, I think it's a matter of conscience. If you've got an old Bible, I. It's not a sin to throw the thing away because it's God's word, but it's still a book. But if you feel attached to it and your conscience troubles you, do what we did. Find another shelf for it. <laughs> this is Wretched Radio. 
confession, normally numbers aren't my favorite subject, but these numbers make me happy. MediShare is affordable biblical health sharing with twice the satisfaction rate of MediShare members versus traditional health insurance plans. The average family saves $500 per month. Over $3 billion worth of medical bills have been shared among MediShare members, which, by the way, MediShare has been around for a quarter of a century. Don't forget, telehealth is available at MediShare, and it will take you two minutes to receive a quote to see what you and your family could be saving every single month with MediShare. Affordable biblical health sharing. Please spend a very worthwhile two minutes at 844-34-BIBLE, 844 Bible. Thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. And we also thank you, our friends who have ventured through the aisles, the digital aisles of Wretched.org. You're not just buying a book or a video. You're actually investing in truth, wisdom, and the kingdom of God. But listen, why stop at the checkout? How about joining us as an ongoing monthly gospel partner? Because it's a way to go deeper and to become part of something more than just a simple store transaction. It's about standing firm in the faith, reaching millions of people all over the world. But we need your help to do that. The gospel isn't something we just consume. It's something that we share and we need your help sharing it together. There's no sales pitch here. This is just an honest invitation to become a part of a mission that's changing lives all over the world. All of the details on how you do just that is at wretched.org slash donate. Wretched, amazing grace, amazing gospel. Busy, busy, busy. Last year, Preborn Ministries provided over 92,000 ultrasounds, 54,000 babies were saved, 69 ultrasound machines were placed, 10 thousand people responded to the gospel. Preborn Ministries, very busy, saving babies, saving souls. Would you please consider partnering with Preborn Ministries? $28 per ultrasound, five ultrasounds, $140. Yes, they are expensive, but they save lives. And Preborn Ministries uses good equipment with trained specialists, which is why the success rates are so staggeringly high at saving lives with preborn. Please consider supporting preborn at preborn.org slash wretched, preborn.org slash wretched. Important dates in Christian history. 1675. German Lutheran minister Philipp Jakob Spener publishes Pia Desideria, which becomes a manifesto for pietism. While both Catholicism and Protestantism define the faith in largely communal and societal terms, pietism emphasizes the personal experience of being born again. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. This is not... Alice in Wonder... No, not Alice in Wonderland. What's the show where... You, uh, uh, Time Chasers, The Wizard of Oz. What's the show where you go to a, a t- Ted and Jane's excellent adventure? <laughs> Bill, Bill and, and Ted. That guy, too. This is Wretched Radio. No, we're not confused. And normally don't do mailbag on this day, but delight in hearing from you and spending some time noodling through 
a lot of issues that a lot of Christians deal with. So please continue to send whatever to idea at wretched.org. All right, this next question is from Allie. Uh, Todd, 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen. It was Bill and Jane, Ted and Alice. That was some kind of raunchy show from the 70s with Alan Alda and Carol Burnett. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Right, that was Keanu Reeves. <laughs> A masterpiece. Oh, it no was. doubt. <laughs> but, but that was some sort of time travel, right? I think the whole so. time travel thing is so nonsensical to me. If you just stop and think about it for a moment, you can't go back to the future. That, that would mean that every single second, there are all these multi-universes that happen to be stuck on the second you return in your time capsule or DeLorean. It's ridiculous to ponder time travel. You know what the other one is that they're working on like a nobody's business these days? What's that? This is kind of making the rounds. Cryogenics. Freezing your body, chopping oh, off your yeah. head and freezing it so they, they can put it on something someday so that you can live forever. And I love the headlines. We're getting closer to you living forever. Pick me. Pick, hello. Hello. Pick me. <laughs> You're going to get a better body with this program. Pick me. Idea at wretched.org. All right. This is from Allie. Uh, she says, Todd, 1 Corinthians 11, 14 says that long hair is a disgrace for a man. So how long is too long? Yeah. The Bible doesn't say, does it? Now, you could say that that means the Bible is insufficient. I would say that's another reason to believe it's supernaturally inspired. Why? Because God understands cultures. And he understands cultural norms, and he understands that things change. So God didn't do, <laughs> love you, my fundamentalist Baptist brothers and sisters, doesn't make a law about it. Jimmy, you're going to love this. I got a buddy uh-huh, you who, who's, he was going to the fundamentalist Baptist school, and I know that school, Loverly. Really sweet, dear people there. They do an excellent job, but, you know, they got rules about the hair length. Hmm. Well, his father was called big trouble because his hair was too thick. Too thick. You do that. Okay, the, I don't know. <laughs> the Bible doesn't. And so this is one of those instances when understanding categories is helpful. Now, it is not entirely sufficient to make the decision about how long is too long for a man's hair. You've got a ton of individual preferences. But in general, societies kind of change. Back in the 50s, what, what Jimmy's hair length would be long. My hair length would probably be considered very long right now. Today, it's like, no, not, not really. It's above your ears. Seems to be pretty manageable. So societies change. Cultures dictate some of this. Some of it. Now, you got guys like Fabio with that sort of hair. All right. Is he getting close? Yeah, probably getting close to a culturally defined what is too long. Now, having said that, I'm still going to go to the Bible because even though we can have some variances of opinion on this, 1 Corinthians 11 is quite clear. It's, it's echoing Deuteronomy about how men and women present themselves and, and that there should be some norms for each gender. Now, please note, culture does define some of those norms, but that doesn't mean the Bible doesn't have something to say about it. So if you're concerned that your hair is too long, take a look at culture. What is considered within the realm of normal? Furthermore, you need to consider your zip code. You need to consider your testimony. You need to consider your church and family. 
You're certainly going to consider your job. Isn't that funny? We do that first, don't we? If I do this to my hair, will I get fired? Well, that's a fair question, but we should ask that about other realms besides employment, church, neighbors, family. What are they going to think about this? What is it going to say about me as a believer? And then get on down to great clips and send. Jimmy, you got anything else for that? No, I don't. No, it's it's, it, it's to a degree subjective, but I think it gets to the point where most of us would go, um, Crystal Gale, uh, <laughs> dude, no, that's just no. And it's just even if society said that's OK, I, I think that you would have to go. The Bible overrules that there's a tricky balance sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes in understanding cultural norms. The Bible needs to be our framework. Let the Bible speak clearly when it speaks clearly. Let it inform us generally, implicitly. But then we do have to study culture because if the Bible doesn't forbid what culture is doing regarding gender norms, most, not all, most of the time we can probably do it. But sometimes the Bible's going to go, you know what? I Look, the culture can say that you can all have, men can have hair down to the middle of their back. And the Bible would say, no, women have long hair. Men, mm, not like that. Idea at wretched.org. All right, this one is from Hopeless Wretch. Todd, I've been wrestling with temptation and finding myself thinking God will just forgive me. I'll sin now and ask for forgiveness later. I know that's wrong. Feels like I'm abusing God's grace. Yeah, that feeling is right because the Bible says so. That would be a Romans 6.1. You're you're abusing grace. You're you're going on sin and that grace might more abound. I would encourage you to deal with this and deal with it quick. Now, this this you you could be going right down a slippery slope and you want to make sure that you do not get on that toboggan ride. What should you do about this? Well, Romans 6 would help us. It's understanding what has been done for you in Christ. Why do you want to add to his misery? Why do you not want to be obedient to the one who loves you, and I mean loves you, even when you are sinning, that should be the very knowledge that causes you to not want to sin. So if you're abusing grace, I would do some heart examination. I would grow in my love for the Lord, and I would engage an elder or a mature man at your church to say, I need some help. I'm I'm in danger here. Will you walk me through this? This is precise. Jimmy, I'm telling you, we should have years ago, we should have started writing down all of the different scenarios why church is so crucial for you. Hmm. We, we, it would be more than a dictionary at this point. Oh, yeah. So you're, you're going down this slippery slope. At least you're looking over the ledge a little bit. Whoa, 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 danger, Will Robinson. You need to be in a local church and you need help. That's what the local church is about. That's what it is for. I'd get on that one, sir, quickly. Repent of your lack of repentance. Ask God to intervene. Plead with him to help you and grow you in your love for him, which will increase your hatred for sin. Esteem the sacrifice of the Savior and you'll desire to sin Less idea at wretched.org. All right. This next question is from Debbie. Uh, Todd, does counseling equal pastoring? 
I'm more frequently asked by members of my church to counsel, though I'm not a certified counselor. I have considered becoming a biblical counselor, but I I do wonder about marriage counseling and if that gets into the gray area of pastoring. Is is it? Well, is this a lady who's writing? Yes, it is. Okay. Well, that okay. We got some complexities here. Right. Is counseling a part of pastoral ministry? Yes. But here's the deal: we are all encouraged to counsel one another. Well, we're, we're we're so that's just it's not an exclusive territory of the pastor and the office of elder. So we can be doing that. But now you enter into counseling a man. Basically, in biblical counseling, among other things, it is not all rebuking by any means. But it is teaching, it is correcting, which means authority. Now, it's the authority of God's word, I grant that. But it's it's an authoritarian, not in the bad kind of way, authoritarian position. And that is why most biblical counselors, I don't know one actually, where a woman would counsel a couple. It would be a man and a woman who would counsel a man and a woman. And even that can get a little dicey. But in general, that tends to work best where the man then can be encouraging better behavior from the husband and the woman can be working with the woman and together they can work through it. Watch the lines even in that scenario. But this is, I'll tell you, this is even a woman counseling a man, a a woman alone, one-on-one with a man, forget the opportunity for the dangers that exist in that. We'll assume that there's a glass door or window into the counseling room. I, I think that steps over the line of First Timothy 2.12. And just one other note, a man counseling a woman, not a great idea. It can happen. It can be done. There better be glass in that office. It can be done, but it must be done Thoughtfully, I wouldn't say it's a sin if you do, but wisdom might suggest it's better for a woman to be doing that, which is why, ladies, we do need you. Please, oh, become biblical counselors. Please, this is a lovely opportunity to do magnificent ministry. You can become a biblical counselor at biblicalcounseling.com. That's biblicalcounseling.com, the home of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. We need more women counselors. This is Wretched Radio. And it's now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Well, to kick things off, how about a TikToker? That's always fun. This trans TikToker that I'm speaking of has used the analogy of donuts to explain gender to children. The idea is that we just cannot judge a donut's filling by its outer appearance. So, therefore, we can't determine someone's gender based on their physical appearance alone. We're not talking about breakfast here, we're talking about someone's gender, their sex. Really, you know, they say you can't judge a book by its cover. Well, that doesn't mean if someone is male or female, because in all actuality, with the exception of a few cases, you really should be able to. Switching gears, the American Center for Law and Justice is considering taking a Missouri Senior Living Center to court over a Bible study ban. After several months of peaceful Bible studies, the center put a halt to those gatherings because they're dangerous and they're offensive and they're oppressive and they are violating federal housing administration guidelines. 
I don't know how, but the ACLJ says they're having none of it, with the Senior Litigation Council saying, quote, this is literally the exact opposite of the law. But a ban letter's been sent, and if the center doesn't reverse its decision, a lawsuit is on the horizon. In entertainment news, Great American Family seems to be on a roll. The network has secured its position as America's fastest-growing television network for the ninth consecutive month. Even though there are those that would tell you differently, I believe the majority of Americans are looking for family-friendly content. And that is what Great American Family seems to be producing. On a more serious note, at least 13 Christians in East Africa have been released after a decade of false imprisonment. Their release is just a small beacon of hope, but we cannot forget to continue praying for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters in East Africa and all over the world. A recent survey by Gallup suggests that nearly 70% of Americans believe transgender athletes should not, that's not, compete against individuals of the opposite sex. That reflects a significant increase from the previous years, indicating a growing awareness and concern about fairness in sports. That's exactly what it is, fairness in sports, because a female who has worked her entire life and owned her craft in whatever sport it is should not have to unfairly compete against a man who decides he wants to wear a dress today. That's not fair. Not fair at all. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible. First Corinthians is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. Paul addresses his concerns about divisions and immorality in the church. Then Paul answers questions from the Corinthians about marriage, food, worship, gifts, and the resurrection. When you want to understand God's high calling for the church, look to 1 Corinthians. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. It's true. Jimmy is nicer than I am. This is Wretched Radio. Jimmy, if you'd worn this tie, I'd be busting your chops from sunup till sundown. You have not said boo about my... Your yellow, yellow tie. I have a yellow tie. No, I didn't. Oh, maybe that's why. <laughs> Please wear it so I can mock you. And thank you for not busting my chops. You're welcome. Hey, I own it. I don't know. I think maybe one of the kids gave it to me. And, and I look at every time and it's like, oh, <laughs> is it worth it? That's. You don't like yellow? That's. Well, oh, come on. It's a girl color. <laughs> It's a yellow. <laughs> Girl, how many yellow things do you own, Jimmy? Uh, that tie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly my point. Please send whatever you want, including criticisms of my yellow tie of Texas, to idea at wretched.org. All right. This next uh, question is from Daryl. Todd, was Jesus only limited to normal human abilities or did his divinity peek through? No, absolutely not. No peeking, no mixing, no mingling to a jingle bell beat or otherwise. This was determined early in the church, the understanding of the union of the fully God Jesus Christ and the fully man Jesus Christ. And one of the crucial distinctions that was was made, well, there were a lot of them, but 100% God, 100% man. Uh, Jesus was not a demigod. He wasn't a superman. He was fully God, fully man, totally unique if you will, Jordan Peterson would love this character in the history of mythology. Very unique, fully God, 
fully man. And the two natures didn't mix or mingle. They didn't bleed in. In fact, oh, okay. I w- okay, 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 okay. I'm reading John 11. Last night? <laughs> time. Was reading John 11 and Jesus, oh, there's so much that I just, isn't it amazing when you read something that you've read probably a hundred times and it's like, oh, look at that, would you? Jesus is outside of Jerusalem because they just tried to kill him. And he hears from Mary and Martha that their brother, the one you love, is dead. First of all, it said, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, isn't that interesting? Because God, of course, loves the world. But it appears that Jesus, the man, had some relationships that were varying degrees. He loved those three. They were close. And he didn't move to go save Lazarus. What did he say? He said, this isn't going to end in death. So he lingered for two days. He arrives. He's greeted by Mary. Greeted, then Martha comes out with all of the mourners. And by the way, this is, this, is, this is so fascinating. The mourners that were at the funeral of Lazarus very possibly could have been some of the Jews from Jerusalem that would have liked to stone him who came out to the funeral as mourners for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And they saw Jesus raise him from the dead. And many believed, is it possible? Some who had but days earlier wanted to murder him, now followed him as the son of God. And he wept. Now, did Jesus know that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead? And the answer is, yeah, because he said so. This isn't going to end in death. So he knew the father had informed, he knew what was going to happen. And yet when he got there and experienced it, he wept. Sovereignty is a wonderful doctrine. It's, it's ultimately so comforting. But sometimes I think we need to be a little bit careful that somehow sovereignty trumps the reality of grief. Jesus knew. He was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Why did he weep? Because it was sad. I think we all need to be careful with how we lay down the sovereignty card. I think we need to be laying it down. It's better to have it established before you need it. But nevertheless, we can comfort people at the right time by saying, the Lord reigns. The Lord is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And what he pleases to do toward his children is always good. There's a time for that. But sometimes I've heard, well, yep, okay, well, your uh, your loved one uh, got stabbed, but you know, God reigns and he's in control. As if to suggest, oh, pfft, no sadness here. Let's be careful because we don't even see Jesus not expressing sadness, even though he knew that it wasn't going to end this way because what he was experiencing at the moment was genuine, real, and raw. But then as he's marching to the tomb, or when he, at one of those points, somebody he was informed that Lazarus was dead. He was told that Lazarus, he, he had to hear that. And you go, well, wait a second, is God, didn't he know that? Yep. But that's because the two natures weren't mixing and mingling. That's what, that's what we see in this story in John chapter 11. We know that Jesus Christ was operating, running the universe while he was walking the planet. And that includes in the manger. Wearing a nappy, Jesus was running the planet, upholding it by the word of his power, simultaneously a baby who needed to be fed, who needed to nap, 
who needed to learn the language, who needed to learn the Bible as a human. The two natures do not mix and mingle. Idea at uh, Chalcedonian Creed, yes, and the Athanasian Creed. Always worth reading somewhat regularly. Idea at wretched.org. All right, this next question is from Casey. Uh, Todd, a girl whom I frequently have theological conversations with, asked me this question. What if a man uses makeup? Yeah. Not because he's gay, but yeah. because it's a hobby yeah. that he keeps to himself. Yeah. She, well, uh, there's it, a reason he keeps it to himself. Yeah. He knows what it says. Stuff says stuff. Our culture has determined makeup is historically, unless you're the pharaoh of Egypt, historically it is the realm of women. And so for a man to wear makeup to beautify himself, that would be crossing over one of those lines. Now, you do a news show, they have to put powder on your face. Yeah, that's, 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 I don't think that's the same thing. That's a utility for your job so that you don't look like basically we could fry an egg on your face because it's so oily. It's basically to keep you from being gross. That's not the same thing. And I think this fellow who's doing it privately understands that. Uh, I would not probably deal with this issue. I think I might go digging, looking around. What's up? Tell me. What's motivating this? Where's this coming from? Do you ever have thoughts about being a woman? Why are you trying to beautify yourself in this way, especially if nobody sees you? I mean, and pretty much any sort of dressing up without ever going out in public is a little weird. Okay, I'm at home. What do I put on sweats? Whatever. But I don't plan on going out. Other, but if I got dressed up, it wouldn't be to lounge around the house. So I'd be doing some digging. There's probably something underneath the makeup surface. Idea at wretched.org. All right, this next question is from Nick. Todd, uh, what are your thoughts when you hear people say it's not a religion, it's a relationship? It depends on how they use it. If they use it as kind of a, hey, don't worry about the rules. God's not into religion. Yeah, actually, God is into religion. <laughs> He's the inventor of the true religion. It started with the chosen Jewish people. Now it's his chosen elect in the church. So he's into religion. It has a holy book. It has an object of worship. It has a, we'll just say, a priesthood, intercessory work being done. Um, certain elements of worship that are prescribed. That's a religion. Bunch of rules. Religion. Having said that, it is right to say that Christianity isn't just that, just a formal, heartless, cold, mechanical, rote sort of affair. It's not that. Christianity is different. You get to know God. You get to know God, and not in a fleeting way. This, this isn't like God is, is driving down the Champs-Élysées. I think that's where they do those parades after victory. Oh, like the, what was it Fifth Avenue in, in New York who had the victory parade? And God, like he's an astronaut. Just wait. Now you see me. No, you don't. Nope, that's not the way God is. Because of the work of his son, the Lord Jesus introduces you to the Father that you might have an ongoing, peaceful, I'm going to use this word, luxurious relationship with the Lord. That's what this is about. And it is. It is currently my opinion, and I say currently because 
That means when I change my mind later, I can say that it was just currently my opinion. But it seems that the biggest problem right now for so many Christians, at least in conservative circles, is that because of the abuse of sayings like it's not a religion, it's a relationship, which typically means squishy liberal progressivism, we don't emphasize that enough. This might shock you. Justification is not the end of your faith. It is the means and mechanism that introduces you into a relationship with God. That's the end. It's getting to know him right now and for forever. That's what Christianity is about. And that is what all of our religion should point toward. And that's why there's been this disconnect. It's wrong to divorce religion from Christianity because it's a religion by any definition. But let's let's not forget that our religion, it is indeed about a relationship. So I would ask you, in all earnestness, how is your relationship with the Lord? This is Wretched Radio. So, you're not convinced of the importance of training men to rightly divide the word of truth and fill pulpits internationally? Fine. Then we'll let Paul Washer convince you. It is so important, not just important, it's absolutely essential to have a trained expositor of the scripture in every church. When we read through the book of Acts, we can see that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, advances as the word of God advances. Would you please consider joining the Master's Academy International in filling empty pulpits with men who can exposit the scriptures and advance the kingdom of God It's a magnificent ministry with a generational impact. Please learn more about supporting TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor. Wretched.org slash pastor for the Master's Academy International. Are you tired of the endless scrolling and mindless internet browsing? Well, you can absolutely break free from the digital realm and enter the Bible Zone. This month, we invite you to unlock the power of the scriptures with our exclusive Bible Zone bundle. With the Bible Zone bundle, not only will you learn to read your Bible better, but you'll also desire to read it more. This $100 value is available all month long for only $39.99. Buckle up and get ready to enter the Bible Zone by picking up the Bible Zone bundle, including Herman Who, It's Not Greek to Me, Drive-By Theology, Jesus Unmasked, plus all four study guides to go along with the resources, all for $39.99, but only during the month of August. Visit wretched.org slash Bible Zone right now to place your order, but hurry up before time runs out. Ah, some good news. Two encouragements from the Tomorrow Clubs. They have hundreds of weekly kids meeting clubs in Eastern Europe, but now they've expanded to Africa and the kids are swarming the Tomorrow Clubs. They have never seen greater attendance than the hundreds of new clubs that they are opening up in Africa. That should encourage all of us. The gospel is going forth and reaching kids in unreached places. Encouragement number two, would you like to become a Tomorrow Clubs ministry partner? 
Your support will help the Tomorrow Clubs open up even more Tomorrow Clubs and reach even more kids with the gospel. Please consider becoming a ministry partner at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Titles of Christ In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who He is and what He has done. Jesus is called the Door. A door serves to provide or prevent access. Thieves and robbers are prevented from entering in, but those who trust in Christ are able to come through Him into eternal salvation. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Did I mention that's what my new book is about? This is Wretched Radio, uh, working hard uh, behind the scenes, trying to write a book that does indeed help people understand religion and relationship in Christianity. Uh, How am I supposed to walk this thing out 24-7? Because there's a big part of you that goes, well, that just doesn't even seem practical. I mean, how can I be doing sacred things when I'm driving my car? It would be dangerous. This book is an effort, and I, I hope it's a helpful effort in bridging that, ga- that gap, perhaps, between faith and the rest of your life from head to heart. And that's, that's what I'm endeavoring to do. Jimmy, I think it's, it's, it's getting helpful. It's not there yet. This has been a hard. This is this has maybe been the hardest book I've written. Really? But yeah, because it's 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 definitely Bible based. I hope it is Bible based. You know, Jesus unmasked. That's a study of typology. Stressed out. That was a study of John fourteen through sixteen. The what was the other one? <laughs> well, the other stuff was pretty much just Bible based kind of stuff. This is Bible based, but it's 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 more of there's tons of theology. Believe me. But it's what it looks like. That 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 that's in part why I've been listening to Chuck Swindoll more these days. I need help with that, and he's he's a master at that. He just application—that's his middle name. So how do you take this thing that you believe in, this this the object of your faith, Jesus Christ, and how does he become the center of your life all the time? Because it is a little tricky, I grant you. It is a little bit tricky because on the one hand, you're glorifying God right now. Without even thinking about God, you're glorifying God. You'll have to get the book for the explanation. Uh, On the other hand, you're not thinking about the Lord. You're not being mindful of the assignments that you're on. You could be glorifying him more. Because you are determining, I'm doing this for you, Lord. I'm I'm setting my day by your compass because I want everything today to be centered on you because I know why I'm here. The world doesn't know why they're there, but I know why I'm here. And it is to accomplish your singular purpose in the world. And that is to bring glory to your son. Help me to do that. And hopefully this book is helpful in that regard. It'll be available in 2024. Please send questions, comments, conundrums, snarks to idea at wretched.org. So before we move on, you you forget all the books you've written? Yeah. Yeah. So and you, I haven't written that many. You said stressed. I know and you've forgotten. You said, I judge not. Okay, that was it. Reset it, for parents. All right, those are the two. Uh, the booklets. Right. So yeah, you, you got stuff. it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, 
don't stub your toe. Are you a rotten fish? 13 reasons to not commit suicide. 22 reasons mm -hmm. Jesus is God. Did that's, I get them all? That's it. You got them. Then. <laughs> right. You know, ask Ray Comfort. Hey, Ray Comfort, <sighs> what was the 74th book you wrote? <laughs> well, I don't know. That was so many years ago. Yeah. He has no idea. In fact, he told me, this is Ray. Ray is one of the most brilliant men I know. He's got a great mind. He pitched a book to a publisher. And the publisher's response was, you already wrote that, Ray. <laughs> okay, never mind. What Would you consider yourself to be a good person, Mr. Publisher person? <laughs> See, I told you it was a great idea. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. All right. This next question is from Marty. Uh, Todd, why did God provide manna and quails uh, in the Sinai wilderness for Israel when they had cattle, sheep, and goats with them? That's a good question. All right, disclaimer, I can't immediately think of a verse that would point us in that direction. You got one. Send it to idea at ratchet.org. I'm happy to share it. Is there an explanation that says the Lord, because they took a bunch of stuff with them. Remember, the Egyptians gave them stuff. Then they took animals. They took gold and silver. They could, you know, make offerings to the Lord, which is why I suspect God was providing the food because they're going to be out in the wilderness a long time. There was a lot of sacrifices that were made. So I think that the animal pool was dipped into for that purpose. But I would also say, looking forward, we know that the man in the wilderness is a picture of what? Jesus Christ, the bread of life. That's what he called himself, the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John, that he's the bread of life, the manna that was coming from heaven to feed and sustain the wandering Jewish people, to keep them alive physically was a shadowy picture of the substance of Jesus Christ, the bread of life who came from heaven and saves us spiritually. So I would also suggest that's another reason God gave manna. And it's amazing, isn't it? You know, I, I think sometimes we are hard on the Jewish people. And in, for a good reason, when they were wandering around the wilderness, they were an obstinate people. When you read Exodus 15, complaining about water, Exodus 17, complaining about water. Really? Really? You're worried that God's going to kill you out here when he delivered you from the people who tried to kill you. Really? Having said that, do you ever go through us this is this is okay this is jimmy i'm just gonna get you ready for something okay you you got all the kids at home still mm -hmm. all of our kids are gone when the last one leaves a lot of things change mm. including food preparation all all of the recipes that we had for five six people now it's two mm. that changes everything so what do you do you find something and it's like, oh, that's good, and it's easy, and it's the right size. So what do you do? You eat it day in, day out, and then all of a sudden, one day, like somebody flipped a switch, you're like, oh, please, <laughs> tuna on toast with Western dressing. I'm blah, blah, blah. We get the, the Jews maybe getting a little fed up with manna. Now, should they have grumbled? No, but in fairness, eating the same thing day in and day out, you can understand why that might be a little bit Less than palate delighting as having some options. But they were still a grumbling people. Idea at wretched.org. All right, this one's By the way, that's in Jesus Unmasked, too. It is. It is. Okay. The bread of life. Oh, you remembered. It's the water, it's the water picture that is so spectacular. The bread of life, it's the manna. That's pretty easy. The water and the illusions that Jesus is making back to Isaiah 
oh, man. And I think Ezekiel, too. You can't study typology and conclude anything other than God wrote this book. God did this. There's no way. Nobody could concoct this. I'm sorry, Tom Clancy. You're clever. But who is his? Who is uh, Tom Cruise? Who is <laughs> who's the Tom? Uh, Jack Ryan. Right. Was that it? Uh, uh, I think that's Tom Clancy, if I'm not mistaken. What was the, the one with with the one with Tom Cruise where he's this kind of this rogue military guy and he tells the bad guy on the phone. He's no Liam Neeson. He said, I'm going to drink blood from your boot. <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> Liam Neeson cringed. <sighs> I have a particular set of skills making a person like me a nightmare for a person like you. I will find you and I will kill you. And I believed him. You believed him. I don't want to meet Liam Neeson. I think he's going to kill me with his bare hands. Idea at wretched.org. All right. This is from Cole. Um, Todd, you previously talked about how believers should be part of a church close to home instead of driving far distances. We live in the middle of nowhere with a lot of small churches that are very shallow in teaching and doctrine. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on us traveling 35 miles to be part of a sound Bible teaching church? Uh, there, there, there's no definitive, biblically defined distance. That would have dated the Bible, wouldn't it? Because if the Bible written in the first century had said, you must be attending a local church. So anything beyond a mile becomes an unreasonable walk. Oh, suddenly the Bible's stuck in the first century, sort of like the Quran is stuck in the seventh. Instead, we should be seeking to be participating in the life of a church. Your mileage literally may vary. How far is too far? It, it depends. Maybe you're used to driving 40 minutes everywhere, and it's like, huh, that's not that, that's the expectation. We live so far out from anywhere. That's just the norm to go to the grocery store. Well, that, no problem. But if it happens to be just where it, it causes you to not be able to go on Wednesday night, here's the rule. I've got the rule. This is going to resolve it once and for all. Maybe you can endure going Sundays because it's Sunday. But because of traffic in the distance, can you go to Wednesday night? Then it's not a local church. There! I just resolved the whole shebang. And I agree with that. you got to be able to go to the life. Can I just share something that I'm so excited about? Okay, uh, two nights from now, Jimmy, do you know how many people have registered to come to the infomercial thing that we're... Infomercial? I don't think that's, don't think that's the right term. <laughs> Tom Pennington yeah. informational meeting or interest meeting. That was it, an interest meeting uh -huh. for the church that we hope will launch here in northern Atlanta. Do you know how many people are registered to come to uh, just check it out? Seven million. <laughs> it's a little bit too high. A little high. A little high. Yeah. Could you say like three... Million. No, just like <laughs> low number. Three. No, Jimmy, that's so ridiculous. 140 people. Wow, that is that is actually impressive. It is really good. No, I, here's what's impressive about it. There's a hunger for Bible preaching and teaching. Pastor, if you're feeling the pressure to give that up, don't do it. Don't, don't, don't become pragmatic. Don't do whoop-de-doo church. Please know Jesus' sheep, the, the real sheep, we love Bible preaching, so please keep it up. And until tomorrow, go serve your king.